Hi everyone, just a quick note about this episode. Uh, we've recorded this episode in the same room for the very first time, live and in person. Uh, it's Martha and I sitting in a room uh, using brand new recording equipment that Martha just got. So if it sounds different, that is why. In addition, we've recorded the outro separately with just myself, um, so Martha won't be talking on the outro. With those two things in mind, here's the episode. Hope you enjoy. Game. This is not an oh, improv wow. podcast. <laughs> this is not an improv podcast. Um. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast that normally assigns you homework. Uh, which we hope that you end up enjoying uh, for the purposes of discussion. Today, it being our very last episode, well, we're recording this in 2017. It will come out for all of our listeners the first week of 2018. Uh, but we wanted to share with you uh, some of our favorite things that we read, watched, listened to, whatever, in the year of 2017. Um, we are going to be bringing you our top 10 lists. We are also going to be talking about our favorite and least favorite homeworks that we uh, assigned each other this year. I'm sure all of our listeners have opinions on those. And frankly, we'd love to hear those in our comments section or Twitter or Facebook. But before we get to that... Uh, Pete has something to jump in and say. I was just going to ask, who exactly are we? Martha? Oh, that would be a good thing to talk about. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Uh, my name is Martha Sullivan. I'm one of your co-hosts for this podcast. Uh, tonight, I am a Hyrule adventurer enjoying the first Legend of Zelda game uh, since maybe Ocarina of Time, because Breath of the Wild is mm, unbelievable. And I am joined today in person for the very first time. In person! It's, we're doing it live! <laughs> Uh, with my wonderful co-host. Uh, I'm Pete Romberg. I am today freezing cold because it's like four degrees here in the beautiful windy city of Chicago, where I'm visiting for the holidays. The weather isn't even that remarkable. It just feels like all of a sudden. One might say it's frightful. Well, yeah, I mean, it's awful, but it's not like out of the norm for no, Chicago. It's right. just... It's just sort of run-of-the-mill terrible. It's just bitterly cold. <laughs> um, so normally this would be the part of the podcast where we would lead off with our pop culture, I can say words, pop culture credentials uh, to verify our expertise for you, our listeners. But we have decided that since basically this entire episode is going to be our pop culture credentials, that we can skip that part and just get into the nitty-gritty of our top ten lists. Um... So to start, these the uh, the guidelines that we use to set up these lists are media specifically that was produced in 2017. Which was very important because both of us consumed a lot of media that was produced not in 2017. And a lot of it was really good. Really but good. For the purposes of this list, we're going to stick with uh, the last year of media, which, again, it's been a pretty good year uh, for, I would say, everything? Movies and TV media. for sure. Specifically, specifically, specifically media. media. <laughs> um, 
Um, so these are uh, a compilation of things you're going to find. We're going to talk about movies. We're going to talk about books. We're going to talk about TV. Um, and in Pete's case, we're also going to talk about music. Uh, I am not musically educated enough to have included any albums on my list, but that certainly does not mean that nothing good came out this year, only that I wasn't paying attention. Um, I, I arranged my list from 10 to 1 in order of... Um, Greatness, preference. impact, preference. Oh, actually, here's a great question that I didn't ask to clarify before I made the list. Sure. Are you calling this your top ten best or top ten favorite? Because that is a different thing. It is, and I. It's a little bit of a mishmash. Mm -hmm. I think the closer we get to number one on my list, the closer it just becomes pure best. Mm -hmm. I have a couple of things, and I will be sort of clarifying those as I go through my list, where I'm not. I'm not necessarily saying that this particular thing was one of the... Like, if I had a top ten list of best movies this year, this movie probably wouldn't make it. Shouldn't win an Oscar, but it's on your But list. I have reasons for including it on the list that I'll get into. Sure. Uh, Pete did not rank his. Uh, he did group them by media. So we're going to be doing a couple different things, but the point is that... My, mine skews heavily towards favorite rather than best, but there are some things here that I felt needed including for quality or uniqueness or whatever that might not have been a favorite but was certainly bold enough and big enough that it needed to be on the list. Uh, Pete also did tell me that there are things on my list that he purposefully left off of his because we would already be talking about them. So there is some, some duplication and again the point is that at the end of this episode you will have 20 excellent things to investigate or talk about or disagree with us as you choose. And with that, I think I am going to jump into my number 10 slot, which is a very good illustration of a movie that was one of my favorites of the year, but I would not probably put in a top 10 best of uh, list, which was the uh, first part of the movie adaptation, It. Uh, it is a book that was very near and dear to my heart um, growing up. I went through a sort of Stephen King phase from the ages of 12 to maybe 16. That's about when I also had my Stephen <laughs> King phase. It is, uh, it is pretty... Wait, what was? That it, phase. It was. Well, oh. the Stephen King phase. <laughs> I was making a um, stupid joke, but it turns out it wasn't. Yeah, no, I've spoken to a lot of people and just read a lot of people who, what, who like, preteen to teen um, was their kind of high point with Stephen King. Yeah. Uh, and... I think I read it for the first time in a weekend, which is pretty astonishing because it's over a thousand pages. Um, as an adult human being, I'm able to look back on that book and see its deep and glaring <laughs> flaws. Uh, and one of the reasons that this movie is on my list is because it does so much work to iron those out. Um, it takes out what needs to be taken out. It focuses on the relationship between these kids over, I think... Um, well, it focuses on the relationship between the kids and makes the scares of the book a little bit more obvious uh, and sacrifices some of that creeping dread that you get mm. in the book, which I think is very hard to translate to film. So I think making the choice to make the scares a little more obvious, a little more telegraphed, a little bigger, more cinematic, so that they could focus on the relationships between the kids, the sort of real-life monsters that take place in the book, I think all of those directorial changes and choices um, made it a really fun and enjoyable watching experience. 
I'm sad I have yet to see it. Although it's high on my list of things. Like, it's one of those movies I wished I'd seen. And I'm sure I'll see it eventually. I, I wish I had seen it in a theater full of people. By the time I got mm. to see it, it was like me and three other people. Um, and be, I think it would have been a fun group experience, like with everybody kind of jumping and laughing mm. on all of that at the same time. Um, but yeah, it's funny. The kids are great. I think we're going through sort of a renaissance of child actors right now. I would have to agree. Um, and just the whole experience, I thought, was one of my, one of the best movie-going experiences that I had this mm. year. So nice. that's why that's why it's on my list. Nice. Um, for me, I am starting with my television, and uh, I'm seeing Martha's list later on. She's grouping her television by individual episodes. Martha went very granular with her list, specific episodes, specific, um, if she was doing music, she would have had specific songs. Probably, yeah. I went very yeah. big. I'm doing a whole series of TV, uh, groupings of things. Um, so I'm starting with something that Martha also has on her list, which is Legion. Spoiler the, alert. Yeah, spoiler, sorry, uh, for a thing you'll hear in ten minutes. Uh, Legion is FX's... A show directed and produced and showrun by um, Noah Hawley about a... Uh, it's based on an X-Men comic. It is um, about... I'm blanking <laughs> on that dude's name. David... Um... David Legion. Uh, David Legion. <laughs> <laughs> Not his real name. Uh, it might be schizophrenic, certainly thinks he's schizophrenic and is in a mental institution, but possibly instead he has uh, psychic powers. David Holler. David Holler. Um... The show stars um, a bevy of people, including a amazing Audrey Plaza. Um, it was one of the most innovative pieces of television I've ever seen. It felt to me like every single episode was doing something new and unique that I had not seen on TV before. I loved Noah Hawley's Fargo uh, seasons, all three seasons thus far. And at this point, I would watch ten episodes of Noah Hawley show running, watching paint dry, because it might be more innovative than a lot of other things on TV. He would turn it into a Bollywood dance number. That is very possible. Which would be amazing. Um, fully enjoyed Legion. If you have not gotten around to go seeing it and you need something to watch on, uh, you know, your... Uh, New Year's resolution January, like maybe you're going to the gym for the first time in a while, you need something on the, that exercise bike, Legion would be great. Um, and yeah, real quick, because I did not introduce it very well, it was directed by Andy Muschietti, it was written by uh, Carrie Fukunaga and stars Bill Skarsgård. Uh, you keep and saying a whole it, what are you talking about? Bunch what it, is of it? other charming children. <laughs> <laughs> Including Finn Wolfhard, who is also oh. in Stranger Things, an episode of which I'm sure would have made my list if I had finished the series by now. Sad. I, I left it off, but regretted the choice, mostly because I liked the season one more than season two, which is no shade on season two. Uh, so far, I'm enjoying season two more, only mm. because I'm only two episodes in and I'm already into it. It took me four episodes to get into season one. But that's a discussion that's a for a different, different podcast. <laughs> uh, number nine on my list is a graphic novel called Spell on Wheels, uh, which is uh, written and illustrated by Kate Leth, Megan Levins, and Marissa Louise. Uh, Jen Bartell did the cover art, which is notable only because she is one of, I believe, the best cover artists working in comics right now. It is a charming road trip story about three witches who are robbed and go out in search of 
uh, the artifacts that were stolen from them and then sold through sort of a witchy version of Craigslist. Hmm. Uh, and as they recover their artifacts, they find out that the person who robbed them um, is you know, more uh, connected to them as than they may have originally thought. Uh, it's a really great story about uh, female friendship, which I'm always super, super into, uh, women supporting other women. Um, it's uh, queer-friendly, I think. Uh, at least one of the witches is a lesbian. Um, Kate Leth is a pretty notoriously LGBTQ-positive writer. She crops up on my Twitter quite a bit, probably from you. Yeah, she's uh, wonderful. But always, always with fire. Um, but yeah, it's really... it's. Um, it's a, it's just, it's a fun, purely enjoyable read. It was really refreshing. At the moment, it's only one volume. I'm hoping for more. Um, in, in a, in a, in a year that I felt that comics were really bogged down with um, a lot of negative, not, not feedback, but a lot of really terrible things happening in the world of comics, just like in every other aspect of entertainment. Mm. Um, a lot of the books that I enjoy have kind of been soured for me um, because their creators are terrible people. Uh, Kate Leth is just a um, really great human being who does really good work, um, which is really positive in a lot of ways. It's a diverse book. Um, it's a body positive book. It's a queer friendly book. Um, and yeah, at the end of the day, it's just pure fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's a really hard transition for me to try to make now, because uh, what I uh, have next on my TV list... Uh, Martha's laughing as she sees what's up on the list. Um, because of course you do. <laughs> uh, so this is my second top TV pick for the year. Um, what would a TV list be without Twin Peaks The Return? Um, it would be my list. Yes, precisely. <laughs> um... This is a, uh, a show that I don't know if it was necessarily my favorite, but I keep thinking about it. And um, 18 episodes of Twin Peaks, all directed by David Lynch, all written by David Lynch and Mark Frost. It's basically an 18-hour David Lynch movie with all the good and bad that entails. Um, episodes 1 and 2 are incredible. Episode 8 is unlike anything else that's ever been done on TV, and I didn't think I'd get to say that in a year when Legion came out. Um, and then the last two episodes are, in equal turns, the best conclusion and the worst conclusion to Twin Peaks that you could ever ask for. Um, obviously, it stars <laughs> Kyle MacLachlan as three different people, uh, Agent Cooper, Dark Cooper, and Dougie Jones. Um... But also, it stars Laura Dern, because this 2017 is the year of the Dernissance, or whatever we're calling it. That was terrible, and I never want to Some, hear it again. Somebody's got a name for it. I mean, obviously she's amazing. But she is amazing. That was not... That mm. <laughs> Your homework like, listener is to like come it. up with a better name than the Dernissance. <laughs> It'll be easy. Twin Peaks equally in turns frustrating and amazing, but most importantly, um, unlike anything else on TV, and I am all in on big swings even when they sometimes don't totally connect, because at least it pushes the medium really far forward. That's fair. Um, I have never I have never watched Twin Peaks. Um, I tried... I started the pilot of the original TV series without understanding that it was a two-hour movie, mm -hmm. um, and fell asleep and didn't feel super inspired to get back into it. And then I will confess that a lot of what I've heard about the... Uh, the Return? Return... 
um, has not made me super excited. But on the other hand, it does sound like for people who are big David Lynch fans, that it was your pretty your, peak. Your take on possibly pun, two pun not intended two peaks pun not intended. Um, choice. It was pretty choice. <laughs> <laughs> your your take on Mulholland Drive leads me to say you would hate. Every moment of Twin Peaks. The that, that is my that is my instinct, and I would rather skip something and not be a negative Nancy about it yes. than force myself to try and enjoy it. That being said, you might enjoy Twin Peaks the original. Um, you also might not, uh, but like that's more. There's goofy fun stuff there that kind of isn't in the Return. That's fair. Uh, number eight on my list is the season finale of a little show on Netflix called American Vandal. <laughs> uh, listeners of our show may remember uh, my very own sister, Lizzie Bueller, uh, pulling it out as her pop culture credential on the episode that she guest starred as. Um, and then I watched it all in about a day and a half, and it was wonderful. I think it ended up being my credential on a later episode. I think so. Um American Vandal is a TV series uh, spoofing on true crime. Uh, it's a little bit serial. It's a little bit true crime TV. Um, the main character, it is uh, filmed as a pseudo do- or a faux documentary um, by a high school sophomore who is trying to uncover the secret of who at his school vandalized all of the cars in the faculty parking lot by spray painting dicks on them. Uh, the sort of unofficial tagline of the show is, Who Did the Dicks? <laughs> uh, and he starts he starts his documentary investigation because um, one of his uh, classmates, a senior, is, he believes, unfairly targeted as the uh, culprit here and expelled without much evidence um, pointing in his direction. So... Uh, Peter Maldonado uh, makes it his mission to uncover the truth of the whole episode. Uh, it was created by Dan Peralt and Tony Yacenda. It stars a bunch of wonderful high school students. Again, we are super, super in a great era for child actors right now. Uh, and specifically the episode that I wanted to, or that I put on my list, is the season finale. Uh, part of what is awesome about the finale is that Peter is still filming his documentary, but he's also showing it to his classmates. So at this point, he's been putting it on YouTube. So reactions, like the school's reactions and his classmates' reactions to the documentary have gotten folded into his investigative process. And in this last episode, how what he's done and how that's affected the lives of his classmates really starts to come home. So it's kind of like the, the latter episodes of Serial, where like her initial reporting is causing other people to sort of weigh in on it, changing the second half of the reporting? Yes. Hmm. Um, and specifically, it deals with things like, at one point, um, he talks about a quote-unquote do list that a female classmate of his has. Um, but because it goes on YouTube, her dad finds out about it and she gets in serious trouble. And she's like, what, what did this have to do with your investigation? Like, why did you have to put this in the documentary? You're kind of ruining my life. So then he has to confront the impact that what this thing that he's made, which he has always been like, I just want to find the truth. But also that's affecting like real people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting commentary on how investigative journalism has 
far-reaching consequences or yeah. can and then also again is couched in this scenario which could have been a joke um and it is satirical but i also think that get it gets taken really seriously like i i thought that the the way that the whole show handles the vandalism and the fallout um and the consequences for these kids was handled very um realistically and seriously uh cuz uh, you know the the kids start talking about how this could affect their chances to get into college mm -hmm. for example i only saw the first episode and i loved it uh yeah it's I, super I good i stopped watching it only because I watched it only a few weeks ago and mm -hmm. didn't have time. So. Well, and also it's eight episodes that are half an hour each, which yeah. is like candy. Yes. Delicious candy. Yes. Half hour episodes, more of those, please. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, well, this will be a way easier transition than the last one. Uh, my third and final television show option is The Deuce, which is the HBO series uh, just out this year for season one. Um, starring James Franco and James, James Franco, Franco. <laughs> uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal. And everyone that you know from The Wire, because it's a David Simon production. Um, the Deuce is about the porn industry in New York in 1970s, um, beginning with the... It basically, it's your classic David Simon, who did The Wire and uh, Homicide Life on the Streets and Treme. So it's your slice-of-life look at 1970s New York as um, uh, pornography is beginning to be legalized, um, Deep Throat, similar films have just come out in theaters, um, how that impacts cops, random barmen, the mob, college kids, uh, prostitutes, uh, sex workers, um, as, as everyone is sort of grappling with this changing scene, this changing world. Uh, it's gorgeous, it's gritty, it's super not titillating for a show that is ostensibly about prostitution and hookers and, and pornography. James Franco does a phenomenal job, and Maggie Gyllenhaal deserves, was it a Grammy? Golden Globe? What do uh, TV star? Emmy. 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 There we go. Uh, she <laughs> deserves an Emmy because, wow, she's good. Uh, I have not yet watched it. It's on my to-watch list. Uh, um, I also put a big asterisk on it and say, it's a David Simon thing, so if you're like, I don't like The Wire, I don't like Treme, you, vo you won't like this. Never seen those things. Ah, I know, right. I'm sorry. All right. um, sorry now I'm looking forward Tremé. to it. <laughs> Uh, my next one, I'm not, my, number seven on my list, I'm not going to spend too long talking about it because we already spent an entire episode talking about it. It is Wonder Woman, mm -hmm. uh, the Patty Jenkins joint, uh, written by Alan Heinberg, starring Gal Gadot and Chris Pine. Uh, the reason this movie is on the list is because it's wonderful, um, also because I just watched it again, half asleep, and moments in that movie still make me cry like a small child. Uh, including that very first scene on Themyscira when you see all of the Amazons engaging in battle practice, and it's like, how often do you get to see women being strong and supportive and beating the crap out of each other? Yes. Um, also, there have been a lot of really good movies this year. The single best sequence in any film, I think, is when... Over the top. Is the No Man's Land sequence yep. from Wonder Woman. Yep. Um, just the whole... The whole her I, saying, no, this is exactly what I'm here to do, and charging across the battlefield, destroying that Gatling gun. Ugh. This was a movie I was very glad Martha had on her list, because it meant I could not put it on my list, because we were already going to talk about it. Uh, that aside, it would have been on my list. I also recently rewatched it. I was routinely shouting at Marin, 
talking loudly at Marin <laughs> about how this is so much better than anything Zack Snyder does because look at how it's like it cares about its characters. I just watched Batman vs Superman recently, so and bad. it's the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not what we're here right, to talk no. about. What's um, your next one, Pete? <laughs> Great. Uh, from one superhero to the next, my next one is Logan. Uh, this is the uh, the final Wolverine movie. Came out in March. Stars Hugh Jackman, uh, supposedly in his last turn as uh, Logan, aka Wolverine. Patrick Stewart stars <laughs> Professor X, who is uh, dealing with Alzheimer's in this, which a super powerful psychic with Alzheimer's is terrifying. Written and directed by James Mangold, it's basically a western with Wolverine on top and a, a story about aging and loss and death and and ending your story definitely the greatest thing that Hugh Jackman could go out on and when the movie ended myself and I was watching it with uh, my brother Mark and other people but when it ended we both just sat there for a while having a moment and the other people we saw it with were like we're gonna go do you still need a moment and we were like yes we still need a moment so. Uh, Logan was a movie that did not make my list because while it was an incredible viewing experience, I don't ever really want to watch it again. Mm. Um, a lot of what goes into weighing my best of lists is do I want to do I want to re-experience this? And Logan was so good and so raw and so hard. Yes, which is not to diminish its. Ex- it's um which is not to diminish goodness its achievements as a film sure. but it just means that's why it's not on my list because i got out of that and was like i felt like i had been through an ordeal <laughs> right next we have my episode of legion which is episode 5 this is the episode um, it is simply called Chapter 5. It is the episode where um, the group of mutants that is helping David sort of reconstruct his memories goes... They, they, go to his, they go to his childhood home. And the whole episode is filmed very much like a haunted house. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Are, there, are they inside his memories? Um, is that the one where... There are sequences of it where there is no sound. Yes, yes, at the end. I think they're... Are they inside of his head at that point, or are they still in a physical location? That's the one part that I don't remember. It honestly doesn't matter. Yeah. Maybe they're in the king's head or something? I want to say they're inside of David's memories because of how much control the parasite has over... Where they are going, what they are seeing. Yes, they didn't. They, um, they started off somewhere else in his memories and sort of got brought there. I yeah, think. but it's one of the reason yeah. that I'm pulling it out is because one of the things that Legion does so well is genre hopping while still feeling very much like a cohesive whole. And like I said, that episode is a haunted house story, mm-hmm. um, and it still fits within this huge um, kind of over the top. I mean, the episode immediately after Aubrey Plaza, it does a, like, Fosse-type dance sequence. (laughs) And they sound like two completely disparate things, but they fit completely well together. Um, I I distinctly remember 
when this episode was over, I was like, I've never seen anything like that before on TV. Because there was 20 minutes where there was no sound. No sound at all. Because the characters couldn't hear anything. And they were actively putting you in that situation. And I was, like, white-knuckled with anxiety the whole mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Um, and just the, um, the directorial achievement of being able to move so fluidly from one kind of filmmaking to another, sometimes within the same episode, mm-hmm. I thought, really, like, that is the example that I pull out for. This is why Legion itself is one of this year's best TV shows. Yes. My, my only issue with it is that it won't win all the awards it deserves to win because there was a lot of other really good TV out this year that is that is more, um, by not being superhero-oriented, inherently will win more awards because the award system is not Broken? super set up great. Yeah. Biased? Broken. Yep. Run by old white men? All of those things. Also, they're somehow related. Speaking <laughs> how, of... How could they be related? Well, all right, so speaking of white men, but in this case, I guess. young white men... Uh, my next pick, um, to continue my movie trend is a movie I just rewatched last night with my parents, Dunkirk, uh, Chris Nolan's movie about Dunkirk. Um, it's an hour and a half long. It is all climax and it is masterfully constructed. There is a, you have this, the, the parts of, on the land called the mole, which takes place over the course of a week. You have the parts on uh, one of the, the little ships that's going to ferry soldiers from Dunkirk, which takes place over the course of a day. And then you have beautiful Tom Hardy behind a face mask because it's a Chris Nolan movie uh, in the air uh, flying a Spitfire plane, which takes place over the course of an hour. And the climax of the movie is the climate like these three stories all climax at the same point, both in the movie and chronologically. It is masterful script building of the Chris Nolan clockwork sense. Um, yeah, it's it's an hour and a half of pure war movie climax. White Knuckle, didn't know I was afraid of drowning, then I saw this, now I'm kind of afraid of drowning. Oh my god. Um, this is another one I have not seen yet. Um, I'm actually, now that the now that The Darkest Hour is out, I'm interested to watch them as a pair. My parents watched it last, watched Dunkirk last night, which is why I watched it, and they went mm-hmm. to see The Darkest Hour today. So, they yeah. watched it as a pair. Uh, number five on my list is a book uh, called The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue by Mackenzie Lee. Uh, specifically, I listened to this one on audiobooks. It was read by Christian Coulson. Um, I think it would be, you know just as good in either format. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is a book about Henry Montague, who uh, is... So this book takes place pre-French Revolution in Europe, and Henry Montague is uh, the um, oldest son of an extremely wealthy family, so he is poised to inherit an earldom. French or British? He's British. Um, And... This book follows his kind of last year hurrah of freedom before he has to buckle down uh, and learn how to run his father's estate. Uh, Henry, or Monty to his friends, is a bit of a rake. Um, he, I love that word. Yes. Well, to illustrate, I think uh, the best way to describe Monty's character is to tell you all that Mackenzie Lee, the author, is going to be writing the YA novel for Marvel about Loki. Mm. Um 
So she wrote 1750 Loki. Yes. Um, uh, He is allergic to responsibility. He is an incredible... He's not just an incredible womanizer because he is explicitly bisexual. So he will just bed anything. He's an incredible manonizer. Yes. Um, So he is on his tour with his sister and his best friend Percy... Uh, he is determined to have as much fun as possible. Uh, they get into, they accidentally find themselves uh, pretty deeply involved into some Illuminati type shenanigans because <laughs> of something that Monty kind of does half, like not even thinking about it, that ends up having these widespread repercussions. It is incredibly fun. It's very exciting. Um, the. I highly recommend the audiobook version because Coulson is incredibly charming. He absolutely nails that, like, kind of flippant, nothing is important to me, but also the, like, serious emotional beats that that kind of flippancy is hiding. Mm. Um, It is definitely going to win some uh, Young Adult Librarian Awards this year. Um, and it is also going to be one of the uh, books that I pull out for teens to illustrate the historical fiction doesn't have to be boring. Nice. Good. And as soon as I am somebody... all for you making kids like historical fiction. And as soon as somebody wants to turn it into a CW TV show, I'm all over that. <laughs> all right. <coughs> uh, next on my list, number five, is the last movie I've got, and it is The Big Sick. Uh, Kumail Nanjiani and Emily V. Gordon um, wrote and directed in it. Kumail stars in it. Uh, it is the... It is technically directed by Michael Showalter. Oh, well, there, oh, there we go. Thank you. Uh, but it was written and produced by Emily Gordon and Kumail and Nanjiani, Nanjiani. Um, who obviously had a huge hand in... Right, because it is their story <laughs> right. of how they met and uh, fell in love and eventually got married, but also in the process... Uh, Emily got uh, incredibly sick and was put into a medically induced coma, um, which disrupted some things. Uh, on top of Camille Nanjiani, it also stars. Um, I should know these off the top of my head because Holly they're all Hunter amazing. and Ray Romano. Thank you, Holly Hunter and Ray Romano, and Zoe Kasdan as uh, Emily Gordon. But, yes. Um, Holly Hunter and Ray Romano being incredible together. Yes. Man, go see this movie. Also, it has a joke that I actually cannot tell because. I am not at all Arab, Pakistani, Middle Eastern looking in the slightest. True. But I was dying of laughter, and I still laugh every time I think of this joke. For many reasons, mostly because Kumail is Pakistani, and this is a joke that requires you to think that he's Saudi Arabian. So it's like, there's lots of great levels going on. Um, My next one is actually has a... I also just want to say that I loved The Big Sick. If I was just doing a list of top ten movies this year, The Big Sick would be in my top three. Right. Easy. Um, But it's interesting that you are talking about that one. My next one is an episode of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, who stars one of the women that plays one of the uh, Pakistani brides-to-be in The Big Sick. She's the, the last woman that he sees. The one that he kind of makes a mess about? Yeah, like when she when she has the line about just how exhausting this is and how she just wishes that it would be totally done. Yes. She stars on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend oh. in a completely different but equally great role. Um, but anyway, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is a show that is uh, created and written by Rachel Bloom and Aileen Broche McKenna. 
It stars Rachel Bloom as Rebecca Bunch, the totally falling to pieces, uh, relocated from New York to West Covina, California lawyer. Uh, it is a musical. It is fabulous. It vacillates between being hysterically funny and also incredibly emotionally affecting. As somebody who, who's hit or miss on, on musicals, every musical number I've seen out of the show, I laugh. Like, it, very funny. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, if you haven't, if you're not familiar with the work of Rachel Bloom, I recommend you look her up on YouTube mm-hmm. uh, yeah. just to start. Her, her musical numbers are like YouTube-like designed for YouTube clickbait amazingness. Mm-hmm. Uh, the episode specifically that is on my list is the sixth episode of season three called Josh is Irrelevant, uh, which is the episode where Rebecca finally is able to get a diagnosis and some start to get some serious help for the issues that she is dealing with. She is diagnosed specifically with borderline personality disorder, hmm. and all of the reviews and things that I have read from licensed psychologists and people who also deal with this have said that it's one of the most honest and true-to-life depictions of BPD that they've ever seen in the media. Hmm. Going back to like season one, they're like, this is a complete honest package, and so when that diagnosis happens, it's like, it yes. feels honest. Yeah. yeah, up through her therapist's explanation of her mm-hmm. symptoms and thera- like recommended therapy treatments. Um, and this conversation she has with her therapist is prefaced by a Disney-esque uh, musical number where she is dressed in a beautiful yellow sundress, exclaiming how excited she is to have a diagnosis and how that's going to change her life for the better. Um, again, it's that combination of tongue-in-cheek humor and also completely honest um, discussion of mental illness, uh, which I think I have been very open on this podcast of how I enjoy it when people are upfront and honest and open and willing to talk about mental illness. And I think this show does a lot of legwork towards normalizing that conversation. Moving into movies for me, we're going to audio. This one is a total cheat, and I super apologize, Martha, for basically shoehorning like five things into this thing. Um, for me, uh, uh, 2016 and 2017 have both been very important years for podcasts for me. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, there are many podcasts that I would rank higher than what I am about to say. But they all began before before 2017, so I don't want to include them necessarily. I'm gonna say that everything that Vox Media does as a podcast is my top is my number four pick for audio entertainment. Um, two of the shows began before 2017: the Ezra Klein Show and The Weeds. The Weeds is deep technocratic, wonky political discussions. Ezra Klein is deep technocratic, wonky interviews. Um, those two shows continue to be incredible, um, so much so that in 2017, The Weeds is now up to twice a week rather than just once a week. That's a good thing. Um, in addition, they've uh, introduced three or four additional shows this year. Um, I Think You're Interesting is pop culture interview show. Uh, Worldly is a world affairs interview show. They're all deeply wonky, deeply knowledgeable. Individual episodes might be a little bit hit or miss. Individual um, guests might be a little bit hit or miss. Uh, Took a while for me to warm up to Todd Vanderwarf's interview style. I think he asks good questions, but I kind of don't like his, like, cadence. Um, Which in podcasts matters, because you hear all that. But 
as a whole, as a as a collective, it is literally everything I care about. It is deep wonky foreign affairs, deep wonky uh, political affairs, deep wonky cultural affairs, and then deep wonky grab bag interview. Um, and it's ten hour, honestly, it's five to six hours of every week. I'm listening to these podcasts. So they get just as pedantic as we do. Oh, infinitely more so. <laughs> <laughs> but they're also deeply knowledgeable. So, like, they're pedant Like, not that we're not. Pedantic in an interesting way. Yes, precisely. Uh, so we are now into my top three, uh, which is just, I don't know, not really notable, except that we're into the top three. Uh, my next is a little movie called Get Out. Yes. You might have heard of it. This was going to be on my list, except for Martha already had it on hers. This is what happens when I do stuff before you do, Pete. Uh, no, it was great, because it freed up my list. Uh, so Get Out was written and directed by Jordan Peele, who you may recognize as part of the comedy duo Key and Peele, uh, which I think is part of the reason this movie has gotten so much traction, just because initially it was... A surpri- it w- was coming from a, a surprising creator. Uh, it stars Daniel Kaluuya, Allison Williams, Bradley Whitford, and Catherine Keener. Bradley Whitford is so good. And tells the, tells the frankly bone-chilling story of an African-American man who goes home with his white girlfriend for the weekend um, to her incredibly upper crust... I got the feeling old money, old East Coast money. It was East Coast, whether it was old or new. Um... And discovers that her family... I'm going to spoil this movie because I don't know how to talk about it otherwise. So if you haven't seen Get Out, skip forward 45 seconds because I think you should go into this movie blind. It also came out in February, so you had a whole year. You did. Um, but he finds out that what this family does is they tra- they entrap a young, physically perfect African-American people so that their old-ass white selves can graft their brains into these younger, able bodies. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya plays a man who is purchased by a blind art critic who wants him for his eyes. Uh, Luckily, Daniel's character is able to escape at the end, but only after literally killing and burning down everyone involved, which, frankly, is the right thing I was so glad, I was so glad this movie did not have a gotcha ending, where there was, there's a moment at the end where you are worried that it's gonna be a, um, what's the zombie, what's the zombie movie where the, the last guy at the end is alive and then gets killed by the, the, uh, military? Oh, uh, I don't know. It's by George Romero. It's George Romero's first movie. Yes, I think so. Okay. I was so glad it wasn't that kind of ending because that would have, frankly, ruined the entire experience for me. Um, but he does get out. Haha, ha, there it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that took me too long. It took me two beats too long. <laughs> um, no, but this movie is this movie is chilling. Um, it is classified as a horror movie. I think it is um, more accurately described as a psychological political thriller. It's a hashtag um, woke psychological drama with comedic beats. But there is a scene in it that gave me goosebumps. Um, it is the scene where they are actually auctioning this man's life away, and they are doing it silently. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is composed so matter-of-factly, 
it's one of those things where the science for this doesn't exist, but you can absolutely see how our culture would excuse and participate in it if it did. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, it all feels like everything about the Allison Breeze family is that they're... Williams. Uh, sorry, Allison Williams. Uh, Allison Williams' family is that they're great white people. Like, Bradley Whitford voted for Obama. I voted for Obama. Would have voted a third time if he could. So, like, they're doing everything right, but they're also... And can still justify this Mm -hmm. monstrous thing that they're Mm -hmm. doing. Yeah. I I think it's certainly one of the most important movies of this year. And would be on my list, but I didn't want to have duplicates. (laughs) Uh, Alright. So I'm going into my number three of this list, which I feel a little bit bad about. I was telling Martha about this going in, uh, because it's rank nepotism. But also, it's my list, doing what I want. Um, It is an album. I'm into my music phase. Uh, for the list. It is Knox Fortune uh, and his album Paradise. Uh, Knox Fortune is my youngest brother, Kevin Romberg, uh, Chicago musician. Um, his album came out in September. I'm including it on my list not for rank nepotism purposes, but because honestly I've been listening to it a lot since it came out. And I was listening to the singles when they came out and I was listening to whatever he gave me before it came out. Um, so I've, I've been listening to his music a lot in the second half of 2017. It's good summer music. It's good um, indie pop sort of labelless genre music. Um, you'll really enjoy it. I've talked about it a lot in this podcast already. I've said enough. Go listen to it. Knox Fortune Paradise. He's going on a massive tour, so maybe he's coming to your city. You should go see him. Keep selling up shows, so get those tickets early. I just want to mention real fast that I frankly think that it's bizarre that I went to high school with somebody whose youngest brother is performing in a primo spot at Lollapalooza. He is playing this summer? Lollapalooza the day after I get married. After you get married, so um, that's going to be a lot of fun. For what him. is my life? Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's playing Coachella this year and other things like that. Insanity. Yep. Way to go, Kevin. Yep. Uh, number two on my list is another YA novel called *The Hate You Give* by Angie Thomas. Uh, you may have heard of this one. They're making it into a movie starring Amanda Steinberg. Have you talked about this on the podcast? Probably. It was one of those books where once I read it, I couldn't stop talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, much like Get Out, it is another sort of viciously relevant uh, to our current cultural climate novel. It is also really interesting to me as a teen librarian because frequently... Um, in in my kind of literary awards sphere, you have the books that librarians think are important, and you have the books that teenagers actually read. And there the twain shall And meet. very, very rarely do those circles overlap, and this is a book where that's overlapping. So this is a book that's both going to make the teens' top ten of the year, and also the Prince Award, which is mm. the Newbery for YA Lit. Um, but it tells the story about a 16-year-old African-American girl who's growing up in a poor black neighborhood. Uh, She attends a um, more middle class white or more middle class predominantly white private school. Her parents have basically thrown everything into that so that she can get a better education. Um, But it's about the tension that she feels between being part of these two worlds. Like she has a white boyfriend, but all of her friends are black. Um, She doesn't have people over to her house because she's kind of embarrassed by it. Uh, and then she sees, uh, she is in the car, with, she is in a car that is pulled over, um, being driven by a, uh, someone she's been friends with since childhood, who then gets shot by the police. Jesus Christ. So suddenly she finds herself in the middle of her neighborhood 
that has been a rough place through the whole book, it's been a very tense place, and is now on the verge of igniting um, because one of their young teens got shot by a white police officer. But yeah, so it's about racial tensions in her neighborhood. It's about the kind of personal responsibility she ends up feeling. Like, does she testify? Because Mm. she could and does find herself in the position where no matter what she says, law enforcement is going to spin it the way that they want to. Right. Um, And it's about... um, how her family wants to protect her because she's only 16 and it's about how she becomes this kind of figurehead for the local ACLU adjacent type groups. And it's about a whole lot of things, um, but also maintains this very uh, real emotional core of the fact that it's all happening to a teenager Mm -hmm. um, and how she doesn't really know what to do with all of that. Um, It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a book with staying power. It's going to be a lot, a lot of the YA that I see come and go has about a one to two year lifespan before teens kind of move past it. I think this one's going to be read for a really long time. 10 years from now, this will be like straight up like curriculum. I hope so. Mm. Um, yeah, Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. Um, that's about as high a praise you can (laughs) give a book. So, uh, all right. My number two. Although real fast. Yep. If it was going to be part of high school curriculums, they would have to commit to putting something that's not only by a woman, but by a black woman on their reading list. It will list. never be part of a high school curriculum. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, yikes. <laughs> um, all right, so my number two. Um, still music, LCD Sound System had a reunion this year. They created a new album, their first one since, I'm going to say 2010. Um, this is American Dream. It is... Very LCD sound system while also being very... There's lots of uh, Joy Division and New Order going on. It's very 80s. Uh, it's it's dancey and poppy in places, but it's also deeply sad and slow in other places. Um, the very last track, Blank Screen, is a 14-minute long tribute to Bowie with maybe too long of an outro, but by the time you get to the outro, you kind of need a nice five, six-minute cool down from the first half of the song. Um... This is another album that I keep coming back to. I'll play individual songs of. I'll play the whole thing. Um, I deeply love LCD Sound System, so I'm I you know I was thinking I want at least two music things on my top ten list, and this definitely took the cake. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a lot to add because I don't listen to a whole lot of music, and I don't know that I've ever listened to an entire LCD Sound System album. I'm not willing to commit to saying I've never listened to LCD Sound System, because I'm sure that that's wrong. I distinctly remember once, (laughs) I played the beginning of an LCD Sound System song for you, and you were like, within 30 seconds, you're like, you have to turn this off. It's driving me crazy. Oh, okay. So 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 I may not actually have to listen to it, but I'm glad that you enjoyed it. You know, as I I mentioned before, that that re-listenability or rewatchability is important. So my number one, we are finally here. Uh, my number one is a movie that I saw recently, and if this was a top ten list of movies, this movie would still be number one. Mm. It is the best thing I watched this year for a lot of reasons. It is a movie called Lady Bird. Mm-hmm. It is directed by Greta Gerwig, and it stars... Her debut, directorial yes, debut. Yes, it stars Saoirse Ronan, Laurie Metcalf, and Tracy Letts. Um, and it is about the senior year of high school for a girl uh, who calls herself Lady Bird, that is her sort of self-adopted nickname. 
uh, at a Catholic school in Sacramento, California in 2002. Um, it is very important to the setting of the movie, I think, that it takes place immediately post 9-11. That comes up a lot just sort of in the atmosphere of the movie. Um, not a lot happens in this movie. It's mostly about her, like I said, her senior year of high school, her figuring out what college she wants to go to, her going to prom, her figuring out her friendships, having a boyfriend, having sex for the first time. Um, and it's also about her relationship with her mother, who is not a kind woman. Um, it was deeply affecting to me. Uh, in 2002, I was 16. So even though I was not, <laughs> even though I was not growing up in Sacramento, um, and I think that place is very important to this movie, um, just the whole atmosphere of being in high school, like she and her friends talk the way that we talked. It's a very performative, um, very considered, like I want to say exactly the right thing. I want to be cool. I want to cool. give the right impression. Um, luckily, I did not have the kind of relationship with my mother that Lady Bird has with hers, but I know people who did. So watching that was also very deeply affecting. Um, and by the end of the movie, I was I was a weepy mess just because I felt so deeply for this girl and everything that she had gone through, everything that she had kind of learned about herself in the process. Um, it's not a big movie. One of the things that I like about uh, Ronan as an actress is that recently she's been picking a lot of roles in movies that are, they're not like apocalyptic stories. Mm -hmm. Like they're very, they're, they are events and emotions and feelings that matter very much to her character, but in the wider world may not be as important. Um, but it is those kind of smaller personal stories that I think are important to our understanding of an empathy for a wider world. So I really appreciate um, a movie like this getting a lot of critical attention. Um, I think there's a world in which this movie was a very small indie release that maybe went straight to DVR. And I'm really glad that it has gotten more exposure than that. Greta Gerwig and Tracy Ronan were always going to bring enough to the table that it would have been a art house release but i think it's even bigger than that now. yes i think it's i th i think it's oscar mm -hmm. it's at least in the oscar conversation i i have not seen it yet there are like three movies out right now that i would like to see and this is my number one so we'll, probably the next movie i go see <laughs> is this one i recommend it uh, um, yeah but i yeah i know if i don't see it in theaters i'll see it six months later when it comes out on on streaming um <laughs> it's top on my list. All right, my last one, and again, this is for me not in order. Uh, I'm just down to my books uh, section of my list. Book. Um, yeah, my book. Um, this was, this is October by China Mieville. Uh, China Mieville is a, most famous as a weird fantasy author. We've talked about him before on the podcast, I think. Have um, we? I think I've had him as a uh, uh, credential. credential, right. Um, he loves language and words, and it can come across as pedantic, pretentious, terrible nonsense. But it all like, but if you're willing to give that a shot, it's musical and lyrical. October is not weird fantasy; it's history. It is narrative history of the Russian Revolution. Um, he's a deep leftist. Oh, it's everything I love. Martha <laughs> is giving me a face. It is everything I love. Like Mievel's a self-proclaimed leftist. Uh, so it's, it's his love of language, his love of the Russian Revolution as a topic. Um, he clearly prefers Trotsky, but it, like, sort of gives everyone a fair shake. Other, you know, 
fair fair enough at least with his biases intact but he's not fighting old battles of like blaming this person or blaming that person he's writing the incredibly convoluted and complicated 1917 like year of 1917 in russia in a narrative way that is incredibly readable for somebody who doesn't have a background in it even though everybody's name begins with s and has four syllables um because they're russian and that's just what it is so if you're at all interested in a primer on the Russian Revolution, this would not be a terrible place to start. I will say that Miaville has written two of my absolute favorite books in the world, one of which is a retelling of Moby Dick that takes place in the desert on trains, and the other one is about squid cults. Iron so, Culture? Or Iron Council and... Rail, Sea, and Kraken. I've not read either of them! adding to my list right I was now gonna of things say, to read. I'm one of the, like, ten people that unironically loves the original Moby Dick anyway. Um, but no, I I deeply love Miaville. I'm not used to him not being super weird and kind of fantasy adjacent, so that's kind of interesting. Like, it, it's narrative <laughs> history. So if you like narrative <laughs> history that, like, it doesn't go deep in, like, the side story. It's just yeah. like, this is what's happening. Sure. Everyone's name starts with S, because they're Yes, Russian. and they all have, like, eight names. Yes. Um, so those are our top ten lists. We are going to take the next five minutes, I think. If that. Uh, to just real quick talk about our favorite and least favorite homework assignments that we experienced this year. Um, as a disclaimer, I will say that I had to limit myself. Well, I didn't have to. I chose to limit myself to things that I had not re previously read or watched. Um, so there are things that I perhaps disliked or liked more, but I had already kind of experienced them, so I didn't want to talk about them. And I did the same thing. We, we independently limited ourselves to only new yeah. experiences. I'm going to go least favorite to favorite, so Sounds that we good. end on a positive note. And unfortunately, Pete, my least favorite homework assignment <laughs> from this year was The Witch, your very first assignment. Was it really? It was, because you wanted to talk about Calvinism. I did. <laughs> I always wanted to talk about Calvinism. <laughs> yes. Um, but no, I found The Witch uh, infuriating. I'm not going to spend too much time talking about it, because I feel as though our identity episode kind of covers it. <laughs> um, I will say that I think that if you were going to bill yourself as a horror movie about witches, it would be super cool to actually watch some witches doing horrible things. <laughs> I forgot that was the very first thing I assigned. It was. And a year later, we're still recording somehow. <laughs> All right. Well, my least favorite, Martha, was one that you assigned. Um, this was a, I, a book that I desperately wanted to throw across the room multiple times, but I was reading it on a Kindle, so I couldn't. Uh, it's 13 Reasons Why by Jay Asher. When I found out they were making a Netflix about it, I was very unhappy. So really, I saved you about 13 hours of time because you didn't have to watch the show. Well, no, I wasn't going to watch the show anyway. <laughs> I just knew how upset I was at the fact that there was a show. I'm more upset about the fact that there's going to be a season two somehow. How? What? I I don't know. Ugh. Um, but yes. <laughs> Multiple degrees of dislike. Anyway... I, this past year, I've read a lot of young adult fiction. I've read a lot more young adult fiction than I'd read since I was a young, a young adult. adult. Uh, and even then, I didn't read a whole lot of it. Uh, but this took the cake as least favorite. And, and I did like some of it. I'm not, you know, panning at all, but... Uh, to redeem both of us, <laughs> my favorite homework was also assigned by Pete and was also for one of our earlier episodes. It was the Jamila Woods album, Heaven, uh, which I found to be 
incandescently beautiful. Um, and as a side joke, both of my brothers got me that album on vinyl for Christmas this past year. Which so. is just so lovely. <laughs> I love that it exists on vinyl, even oh, yeah. though I don't own a record player. You want a copy? No. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Pete, your homework for me spans both my, both my least and my favorite. So. And we're, we're working well on both sides of this <laughs> because uh, Martha assigned my favorite homework for the year. Uh, we absolutely did not plan this. Um, it was The Last Unicorn by Peter S. Beagle. Um, did I assign that or did Kaylee? I don't remember. I thought you said that you did, so I was taking your word on it. Um, Maybe Martha and I have an ongoing fight still because we didn't I mend all our fences. Don't think we have a fight. <laughs> I'm joking. Well, um, talk about... Yeah, so I had never read The Last Unicorn, and that's the title. There are lots of things that, like, in my youth I probably wouldn't have read it. The cartoon looked a little too fey for me when I was a angsty teenage boy who was concerned about such things. Um, but reading it as an adult, I was immediately taken with it. And um, as is often the case with good fantasy, I was immediately like bitten by the RPG bug of like, I want to play some D&D right now because this fantasy world is so well designed and has so many good ideas in it that I just want to steal, um, borrow from. That aside, fantastic book, just delightful. Um, yeah. Kaylee assigned Kaylee it. Kaylee assigned it. Ah. Yes, that was Kaylee's homework assignment for our sixth episode. I assigned the Puella Magi Madoka Magica movie for the theme of sacrifice. Mm, yeah. What did I assign? X-Men United. Uh, X2. Not? Yeah, alright, that was a... Uh... There was one standout uh, assignment in this in that episode. In that <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but you may be rem you may be associating it with me because it's my favorite book. I'm associating with you because you straight up said I assigned it. Did I? Like an hour ago. Oh well. <laughs> well, yeah. Also, it is your because favorite I'm book. obsessed with it. Right. So right. sorry, Kaylee. We love you. We will never forget you. We are having you on next episode. Um, and I am not intentionally stealing any credit. And I'm super you. glad you assigned it because, man, it's so good. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Did You Do Your Homework? You can find the podcast online at homeworkpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at dydyhpodcast. Uh, obviously, you can get the podcast and listen to it wherever fine podcasts are found. Basically, however you're listening to it now, keep doing that. But make sure to subscribe uh, to the feed, and importantly, rate and review us on iTunes. You can find Martha online at MagicalMartha on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find me online at Pico3000, P-I-K-O 3000. Uh, our next episode is our one-year anniversary episode, and we're very excited to be getting the band back together. That's right, we've got Kaylee coming back to join us for this episode. Uh, in honor of that, we're going to be talking about team-ups. So, uh, as our homework assignments, Kaylee has assigned the Marvel movie uh, Captain America Civil War, Martha is assigning a graphic novel, The New 52 Justice League Volume 1 Origin by Jeff Johns, Jim Lee, and Carlos de Anda. And I am doing a musical uh, 
theme for my homework, I'm assigning the album of a supergroup and then two albums of people who make up that supergroup. I am assigning the 2010 album Together by the New Pornographers, a Canadian power pop supergroup. I'm also assigning the 2009 album Middle Cyclone by Nico Case and the 2010 album Kaput by Destroyer. Both Nico Case and the frontman of Destroyer, Dan Behar, uh, are lead members of the New Pornographers. I would suggest listening to the New Pornographers album together first, then listen to the Nico Case and the Destroyer albums, doesn't matter which order you do there, and then listen, re-listen to that New Pornographers album so you get a sense of what they sound like, and then what the individual parts sound like, and then, again, you can listen to it with fresh ears um, when they're all playing together. And that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for listening to us, and have a fantastic Happy New Year. Class is dismissed.